Welcome back to the Der Show. Breaking news from uh, Jerusalem, Israel. Um, I spent part of the afternoon today with uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. He's not yet Prime Minister, but he has been elected. And he's in the process of uh, forming his uh, government. And um, I learned um, that he's fairly close at one point. He used an analogy to me. He said, it's like you're doing a Rubik's Cube and you get to the very end and there's one missing or there's one that's off and that throws off the whole thing. So he's in the process of shuffling um, cabinet ministries and trying to put together a government. He has a few more days to do that. Otherwise, he has to go back to the president of Israel and get permission to spend a few more days trying to form a government. Let me explain to you a little about Israel uh, democracy, and then I'll get to the substance of my really, really interesting conversation with my old friend, uh, Bibi Netanyahu, I've known for half a century. So Israel democracy is unique in the world. It's very much unlike American democracy. It's a parliamentary system. The Knesset is the, the parliament. There are no two houses like in the United States. Um, there's just one house, the Knesset, it has 120 members, and they're elected based on party lists. So when you go to vote in an election, you go to the polling place and you drop your ballot in for a party and say the Likud party, which is Benjamin Netanyahu's party and the largest party, um, it will have like 100 names on it. They have primaries. And you have to compete for where you are on the list. And number one on the list is always going to be the, the prime minister. And number two, important people. Once you get down to, you know, about 20, um, you're not sure you'll make it into parliament because they could has to get at least 20 seats. And if you're 20th on the list, you make it into parliament. If you're 30th on the list, you don't make it into a parliament. And in the end, um, in order to form a government, there have to be 61 votes, 61 out of 120. And uh, the Likud party didn't get anywhere close to 60 votes. No party has gotten a majority of votes in a long, long time. So inevitably coalitions have to be formed. Um, the, the Likud BB's party got the most votes, but they have to coalesce with other parties. And some of the parties that are required to form this particular government are quite right wing. Um, uh, some of them secular right wing, uh, representing settlers on the West Bank, some of them religious right wing, um, uh, some of them just ordinary uh, right, right wing. Then there's, of course, the left. Uh, now, actually, the left and the right in the most recent Israeli election got roughly the same percentage of votes. I think the right got nine, uh, 40, 49.8 and the left got something like 49.4, 49.6. But due to the electoral complexities, um, a number of the people who are on the left side didn't belong, they belonged to smaller parties. And those smaller parties didn't join with other parties and they didn't meet the threshold. You need a little over 3% of the vote to get into the Knesset. So a number of the smaller left-wing parties got 2% of the vote or 2.5% of the vote. And so those votes essentially were were wasted. And, and one of the Arab parties refused to get together with the other Arab parties. So 
um, Arab parties, which constitute a substantial, 20% of Israel are, are Arabs. Um, and so some of the Arab parties also didn't get into the Knesset. So there are 120 members of the Knesset. Uh, the, the Likud party with its people that it's joining with have 64 votes to uh, uh, 40, uh, uh, was it uh, to 60, well, 56 on the other side. So they have a, a fairly substantial majority. Remember, this is Israel's fifth fifth election in four years. We get to vote every four years for president, every two years for Congress, every six years for the Senate. In Israel, which is a parliamentary system, you don't need impeachment, uh, which is a complicated process. Don't I know it? I was President Trump's, uh, one of his lawyers on the floor of the Senate during impeachment. Uh, you don't need impeachment in Israel. All you need is a vote of no confidence or a failure to get a vote of confidence. And if you've lost your majority of um, 64 and you go down to 59 or even 60 tie vote, you don't you don't get it. Um, you lose the prime ministership and there's either a new election or the selection of a new prime minister who can get a majority vote. So it's 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 complicated. Um, I'll never forget having a, a dinner uh, with the then president, Bill Clinton, at the home of a mutual friend on Martha's Vineyard. I actually used to have friends on, on Martha's Vineyard before I defended President Trump. So this was at the home of a friend on Martha's Vineyard. There were like eight of us at the table, maybe even maybe even six, I'm not sure. Uh, President Clinton and his wife, me and my wife, and this other couple. And Bibi Netanyahu had just been elected prime minister for the first time. and the host of the party, who is Jewish and a supporter of Israel generally, um, said to Clinton, you know, I don't know how you're going to get along with Netanyahu. He's a difficult, he's a difficult guy. And uh, I, I started to answer and, and, and President Clinton kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said, let me take that. And he did. And he said, look, I have to tell you this. It was the other guy's name was Bill, too. I have to tell you, Bill, there's only one problem with Israel. Uh, what's that? And Clinton says, and I love these words, and I've repeated them over and over again. The problem with Israel is it's a democracy, damn it. And he then explained what he meant by it's a democracy, damn it. He said, if I call, at that point it was King Hussein of Jordan, and I want Jordan to do something, all I have to do is call King Hussein. He's the king. He can get anything he wants done. If I call the president of Egypt and I want something done, uh, I just... Tell him I want it done, and he gets it done. These are allies of the United States who get very substantial financial aid and military aid from the United States. And so he, the president could just dictate to them, say what he wants done. But if he tries to get anything done with Israel, um, the Israeli prime minister says, well, let me check with my inner cabinet. Uh, that's the security cabinet. Let me check with the full cabinet. I have to check with the whole Knesset. Then let me see what the newspapers are saying. Let me do a little public polling and I'll get back to you. It's a democracy, damn it. You can't tell the prime minister of Israel what to do. He doesn't have the power to bring it about. Uh, in a democracy, the people uh, decide. And Israel is a vibrant democracy. Five elections in four years. Contrast that with the Palestinians. Their last election was 14 years ago and they elected Mohammed Abbas to a four-year term. He's now serving the 14th year of a four-year term. They haven't had elections forever. And, and the reason is very obvious. If they were to hold elections on the West Bank, 
the winner would be Hamas, which is a terrorist group declared by the EU, by the United States, by many other countries to be a terrorist group. And, and, and Hamas denies the right of Israel to exist and uh, wants, uh, the, uh, um, wants there to be a Palestinian state from the river to the sea, from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean, which means no Tel Aviv, no Jerusalem, no Haifa, uh, no Jews. Um, and so um, last time it was an election on the West Bank 14 uh, years ago, Hamas won. And so nobody wants there to be an election at this point. My only point is that Palestinian authorities far from an election, uh, from a democracy, they put dissenters in jail, Hamas executes gay people, um, obviously other enemies of Israel like um, like Iran is not a democracy. They also execute gays, execute dissidents, um, don't allow any free speech. There are now demonstrations uh, going on, but uh, the demonstrators are being put in prison, some of them being executed. And uh, so Israel is a democracy. And if it's a democracy, it means sometimes, sometimes you agree, sometimes you disagree with who gets elected. Uh, like in America, I'm a liberal Democrat. I disagreed with uh, the election of uh, Republicans when they were uh, elected, though I've come to admire many of them. I think Reagan was a great president. I think the most recent George Bush was a very, very good uh, president. And uh, Donald Trump did good things. Um, his uh, foreign policy was much better than Barack Obama's and his economic policy was better than uh, the current economic policy. So although I'm a liberal Democrat, I appreciate what Republicans do if they do it right, just like I'm a Red Sox fan. And I appreciate when Aaron Judge hits his 60-second home run. I'm going to applaud that and going to show great admiration for one of the greatest uh, players in, in modern in modern history. I, I, and I would hope people would show admiration as well for Benjamin Netanyahu, whether you agree with him or not. Benjamin Netanyahu is one of the smartest leaders in the world today, perhaps the smartest a world leader, um, best read, best educated, um, incredible experience. Uh, the man knows everything um, uh, and he doesn't sleep. As soon as I got to Israel, I got a phone call, 1230 at night, welcoming me to Israel by uh, Bibi Netanyahu. That was the middle of his, his work day, by the way, when in this most recent uh, meeting today, he gave me a copy of his uh, new book, and I'm about halfway through it. It's a great book, and he um, endorsed it to me, and I'm very proud of the endorsement to Alan, a great champion of Zionism and the Jewish people, in enduring admiration and friendship, uh, Bibi. Um, and I gave him a copy of my book, uh, The Price of, of, of Principle, and we've always exchanged books. It's ironic because one of the things that uh, uh, Bibi is uh, being charged with, and I don't think they're, uh, they're serious uh, allegations. I, I don't agree with them, but one of the things he's charged with was accepting gifts from uh, people, cigars and champagne. And uh, when I gave him my book today, I said, uh, you don't have to worry about my book uh, as a gift. He said, why? I could get charged with taking your book. I said, well, there's a a case on point about my book. And he said, what's that? And I said, when I wrote my book, Chutzpah, which is now 30, year, 30 years ago, or maybe more, my son, Jamin, was a public defender. 
and uh, somebody stole a copy of chutzpah from a local bookstore and got arrested. And I don't know whether as a joke or because they thought it would have a big impact, <clears throat> they appointed my son, Jamin, the public defender, to represent this thief, the guy who walked out of the store without paying for chutzpah. And his defense was very simple. He said, Your Honor, under New York law, for it to be theft, the item stolen has to be worth something. And my father's book, Chutzpah, is absolutely worthless. And the judge said, well, if his son says it's worthless, it must be worthless. Everybody laughed and they dismissed the charges. So I told Bibi not to worry about getting books from me. They're worthless. Um, his book is quite, quite interesting, quite valuable, and I'm going to treasure it and put it in my library along with autographed books by lots and lots of um, other other people. Um, going back in history, I have a lot of autographed uh, books and a lot of autographs. Some of you have seen them in some of the shows I've done about my wall. I haven't shown you my books, but I have a really good book collection too. Uh, <clears throat> in addition to meeting with, um, with um, uh, Bibi today, I've also met with other Israeli leaders, and including at least one potential member of his cabinet who was quite controversial. And I you know, said, I want to meet with you because people are being very critical of you. And I don't necessarily believe what I read in the newspaper. So <clears throat> I want to meet you eye to eye. And we came to my hotel room and uh, we spent a couple of hours together. I asked him very, very hard questions. Um, uh, many of his answers were quite good. Um, some of them I disagreed with fundamentally. Some of them uh, I disagreed with even more than that. Um, um, but the point I want to make, and the point I made in an op-ed in today's uh, Haaretz, uh, Israel's leading um, uh, newspaper and uh, a very leftist newspaper, often very anti-Israel, the point I made in my article in, in today's Haaretz, and obviously you can get it online if you want, is that whatever you might think of um, this new government, it shouldn't diminish your support for um, Israel. And, and you know, some people say, well, what, you're a Zionist. Yeah, yeah, I am a Zionist. I'm a proud Zionist, but so are you, most of you. I would say 95% of the people watching this show are Zionists. How can you tell us what Zionists? You know what a Zionist means? All a Zionist means is that you believe that the Jewish people have a right to have a state like every other people, and that Israel has the right to exist as the nation state of the Jewish people, a democratic nation state, uh, a militarily secure nation state. Being a Zionist doesn't mean you agree with um, its policies on the West Bank or uh, other policies. It doesn't mean you agree or disagree with a two-state solution, a one-state solution, or no solution. All it means is that you don't think Israel should disappear off the face of the map the way Hamas does. So essentially the world is divided into two groups. Either you're a Zionist or you're a Hamas follower. How many of you out there are Hamas followers? Not very many. So you're a Zionist, essentially. If you don't uh, disagree with Israel's right to exist, you're, you're, you're a Zionist. And uh, uh, people don't know that. They think being a Zionist means you're committed to certain policies and principles of the of the Israeli government. And so the point of my article is that if you believe in Israel's right to exist, um, then you shouldn't end your support for Israel because they may have elected 
people you don't agree with. I didn't end my support for the United States when they elected Donald Trump, or when they elected Ronald Reagan, or when they elected uh, either of the Bushes. Um, I'm a loyal patriot. I stand for the Star Spangled Banner. I salute the flag. I, I say the Pledge of Allegiance. When I was a kid, my grandmother used to take us to the Statue of Liberty and you know thank, thank the Statue of Liberty for bringing her out of Poland and, and out of pogroms and out of attacks and bringing her to the, the great United States, which she called the Golden Medina, the, the nation whose streets are paved with gold. Well, the streets weren't paved with gold. The Lower East Side was essentially a very low working class um, neighborhood, crowded tenements. That's where my grandparents uh, were brought up, but they came to love America. Uh, look, I remember once having lunch with Ruth Bader Ginsburg toward the end of her life, and she asked me a riddle. She said, uh, what's the difference between uh, a bookkeeper uh, in the garment district in New York and a Supreme Court justice? And the answer is one generation. Her mother was a bookkeeper in the um, uh, garment district. And I responded by saying, well, I have a question for you. What's the difference between a bookkeeper in the garment district of New York and a Harvard law professor. And she laughed, I said, one generation. And we discovered that our mothers <clears throat> had worked right near each other in the same garment district in the same period of time and probably knew each other, but we they're both gone. So we have no, no evidence of that. My point is very simple. I'm an American patriot. I love America. I don't love all of its policies. I don't love what's going on in the United States today with the Supreme Court. Uh, I disagree with a lot of the decisions of uh, every administration and every legislation. I don't support everything the United States government does, but I love America. I support America. Uh, I would uh, fight for its survival. And I would think that people who strongly believe in Israel's right to exist, as I think most of you do, and I do, um, would not let that be in any way undercut by the election of somebody you might not agree with. That That's what it means to be a democracy. Damn it. It means you win sometimes and you lose sometimes. And uh, liberals lost this uh, election and they're afraid that they're going to lose it even more to right-wingers in the government. And it's complicated why uh, Bibi has to include those right-wingers, why he can't build a national um, a unity government, which has happened over and over again in Israel. And maybe that's not beyond the realm of possibility over the years. But um, I do think in the next couple of weeks, we'll see the emergence of this government. We'll see Bibi Netanyahu sworn in as prime minister. He's the longest serving prime minister in the history of Israel. It used to be David Ben-Gurion, who was the first founding prime minister of Israel. But uh, Bibi Netanyahu surpassed him in, in time. And I think ultimately he'll go down in history as one of Israel's uh, greatest uh, uh, prime minister, uh, not not without controversy and, and not without um, uh, enemies and not without criticism. But I think he'll turn out to be one of the greatest prime ministers in Israel's uh, history. Uh, now, the other day in, in the newspaper in Israel, there was a, a, a headline that says, you know, some of Israel's strongest supporters are not going to support Israel anymore. And in the headline, my name was included, uh, along with um, the former head of the Anti-Defamation League, Abe Foxman. And then they quoted Abe Foxman accurately, I presume, 
in which he said, if Israel moves in this direction and that direction, I may not be able to support it. Well, I wrote a piece today saying, no, that's not my view. Even if it moves in those directions, I'll criticize it. I'll try to get a change, but I'm going to continue to support it. I'm going to continue to speak at colleges around the world defending Israel against false charges. I'm going to continue to support American military uh, cooperation between Israel and the United States. I'm going to continue to buy Israel bonds to help the Israeli economy. By the way, Benjamin Netanyahu has done wonders for the Israeli economy. Um, he freed it from uh, socialism and allowed a free market to prevail and is largely responsible for what's now called startup nation. Uh, Israel has the highest ratio in the population of startup companies, of NASDAQ listings, of inventions, and um, Israel does an enormous amount of good for every family in America. Uh, medically, it's invented all kinds of amazing treatments for all kinds of uh, diseases. Um, environmentally, it's done great work. Uh, agriculturally, it invented the drip method of agriculture, which allows small amounts of water to be used to cover large amounts of land that has saved many, many lives from starvation. And uh, is it a perfect country? Of course not. And um, is it moving in the right direction? Reasonable people could disagree about that. What reasonable people can't disagree about is that no country in history in the first 75 years of its existence, and Israel will turn 75 in May, no country in history in 75 years of its existence has done more for the world than Israel. And I think it's also true that no country faced with threats comparable to those faced by Israel. Iran wants to destroy it. The leaders of Iran are trying to develop a nuclear bomb, and they've said Israel's a one-bomb state. All we have to do is drop one bomb in Tel Aviv, and Israel's over. Um, so they are threatened. Their very existence is threatened by Iran. Their existence is threatened by Hamas, which has terrorist attacks, uh, rockets uh, very frequently uh, to the south, Hezbollah to the, to the north, sworn to its destruction, a wholly owned subsidiary of Iran, and then Palestinian terrorists on the West Bank, which almost every day you're in Israel, you read about a terrorist attack. Um, I, whenever I go to Israel, I like to go and take a walk through the uh, old city of, of Jerusalem and go to the Western Wall and uh, go to the Shuk. Um, I was advised this time, maybe not. Uh, there have been stabbings and, and shootings and uh, other attacks. And so this visit, I spent most of my time in, in Western Jerusalem. I did go to uh, the Arab Quarter in Jerusalem and had a wonderful, wonderful cup of Turkish coffee, which I love. Um, but uh, in Israel, you have to look on both sides. You have to make sure you're not being followed. Um, the streets are safe. There's very little crime in Jerusalem or Tel Aviv, but the fear of terrorism, particularly in Jerusalem, because East Jerusalem, obviously, is easy to get to for terrorists from Jenin or from any of the other cities. And the Israeli Defense Forces are constantly uh, fighting to try to prevent terrorism. And, you know, when they do, when they act in self-defense, they're often accused. Um, and the cases are brought to the International Criminal Court because of policemen fired in, in, in self-defense and stopped the stabbing or stopped the murder or failed to stop a stabbing or a murder, which is as common as well. And so um, being in Israel is an amazing place, amazing time. Um, I'm honored to 
be a friend of Benjamin Netanyahu. I've been his friend, as I say, for half a century. Um, uh, I never indicate who I would vote for if I were an Israeli, because I'm not an Israeli. I have no right to tell anybody who to vote for. But I do have a right to be critical of certain policies, and I am. Attempts to weaken the Supreme Court, attempts to strengthen religion. These are things I disagree with, but I disagree with it in a constructive way. I continue to support Israel, and I use whatever influences I have to try to undo that. I was on a video uh, uh, urging Israelis not to support a weakening of the Supreme Court. Don't know whether that will happen, <clears throat> but even if it does, it won't weaken my support for Israel. So I'll probably be back with some more reporting from Israel. I'll be here for another few days. Uh, but in the meantime, let's go to some letters. I got some interesting letters this time. Remember, I talked about the Proud Boys and whether they committed sedition. I didn't mention treason. I mentioned sedition. I didn't think that the case for sedition had been made. But somebody wrote me an interesting letter. Uh, there was no treason for the southern states. They had a right to leave the Union. Was there anything in the Constitution saying the states were obligated to remain in the Union? The North was told to leave South Carolina. The war was an act of Northern aggression. My wife, my wife comes from Texas, South Carolina. And in Charleston, everybody calls it the war of Northern aggression. They do it with a smile on their face because they know it was started by, by the South. Uh, the war was started when uh, Southern troops fired on uh, Fort Sumter. And that was an act of treason. You don't fire on your own army. Uh, that's a quintessential act of treason. But the letter raises a fascinating question. What if, what if, what if the South hadn't foolishly fired on Fort Sumter and the North? What if it had simply said, as this letter implies, but wrongly implies, that it said, we're leaving. Somebody reads the new Declaration of Independence when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for certain states to leave other states uh, respect for mankind requires us to set forth the reasons, and then it sets forth the reasons. And there's just a legislative act by South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, uh, you know, you name it. Uh, we're leaving. We're leaving, folks. That would not have been uh, illegal uh, or unconstitutional. And then Abraham Lincoln would have had to make the hard, hard decision. Does he send in northern troops to defeat the South, when the South hadn't waged war, all the South had done is done what the entire country had done to England. That is a fascinating what if question. Um, I've asked it to some historians and nobody knows for sure. Um, some believe that in light of the campaign that Lincoln waged in 1860, which won him the election, a nation divided itself cannot stand, that he would have no choice but to send in uh, troops. But if that had happened, it would be a different story. Um, but the firing on Fort Sumter by Southern troops against soldiers representing the United States of America was an act of sedition and was an act of treason. And maybe it wouldn't have been had the South not started. So it's hard to call it uh, a case of Northern aggression. Okay, here's another one. Z-O-G, Dershashit, Z-O-G, Zionist Occupied Government, right? The United States is a Zionist Occupied Government. 
And then he quotes me, I support the constitutional right of people to disagree with me. And then he says, except for ye, as he disagrees uh, with my fellow Jews ownership and control of American institutions. Hey, you ignoramus, why don't you actually read what I have written? I actually support Yee's right to express anti-Semitic views, just as I supported the right of Nazis to march through Skokie, and just like I supported the right of communists. I don't support the need for the president or former president to sit down and have dinner with them any more than I would sit down and have dinner with the Nazis marching through Skokie. But I am on the right side of that issue constitutionally. Uh, if he wants to make the idiotic, ridiculous, bigoted, uh, anti-Semitic statements that he makes, he has a right to do that. Uh, and Twitter has the right to ban him if he actually violated Twitter's standards. But the First Amendment applies to um, Elon Musk as well as it applies to Yee. And so we have a clash. And what is the right approach? You know, that's something that reasonable people could disagree about. But don't accuse me of hypocrisy when it comes to free speech. I am not guilty of that. Okay. I'm glad the woman told the truth, Alan. There's nothing worse than being falsely accused. There is nothing worse than being falsely accused. And there's nothing better than for the world to understand that, as I've said from day one, uh, the accusation was entirely and, and completely uh, false. Um, even she admits in the statement that from day one, I have uh, insisted that there was no uh, truth uh, to it. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy as well. And I hope those of you who still write to me and call me names and ask me how often I've been on, you know, Epstein's Island or airplane will recognize now that uh, uh, the, the woman who made the accusation has said that she may have uh, made a mistake in identifying me. So that's the new reality. See you tomorrow.